0: Abba Yahweh, again come before you and thank you for this opportunity to be a conduit to my brothers and sisters and whomever will listen to the voice they hear. Listen and seek your truth, knowledge, and wisdom from your word, Father God. Hearing the voice, and listening to what I say, listening to the words that you have put here and given to me to share, Father God, your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom. You bless me mightily in this opportunity. Thank you, Father God. And He does bless me mightily. I am I am so blessed when i get to bless others and have an opportunity to do that thing and and i've shared this with you before i i get an opportunity to provide some extra things in the church every once in a while and he blesses me with a little extra so then i take it and i go that extra and then i have the children come up and it it's just so it's so pleasing to see them with such smiles on their faces and then they and then they make a point to come and thank me. But I make a point to remind them that this is a gift from God and he just allowed me to bring it. He just let me carry it and bring it to you. But this is from God. It's just like the laws. Everybody says the laws of Moses. and They want to make a big proclamation about that. Well, I'm going to remind you Moses was not, and they used to call Moses the lawgiver. Well, that's more appropriate, but what Moses did, reality is that he carried the laws that God set down and put it in stone, and he chose Moses to carry it and deliver it to the people. So Moses was not the lawgiver. He was the law carrier, And he was the law sharer, just like when God allows me to bless others and when I bring the stuff and the kids make a point to come there, I make a point to let them know that God gifted that to them. I just got to carry it. It was very cool. And and they understand, they get it. These are kids and the kids get it. What I get sometimes from grownups when I tell them the same thing I get a, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And then they they just walk off. But the kids, they get it. They actually really get it. Which is actually not so surprising. (laughs) But I mean, I understand that too. But the thing of it is that when God blesses, It's, it's, it's powerful. So I'm going to share a couple things. And this is very, um, very pointed and important and related to what I'm going to share. So God is reminding us through my reading, um, And this is a very it's a very good point and, and I have to practice doing this more, but we we fail miserably really at doing this because we've got so much stuff. So much stuff. Stuff that we have in our daily planner and so many things that we have planned and so many things that we've got to get done before such and such a time and such and such a day. And we got so much stuff running around in our attic upstairs. It's no wonder we have, <laughs> no wonder people are having strokes. Does that sound kind of chilling inside of cold? Well, It is what it is, it's no wonder because people get so much stuff jammed into their schedules and into their, and they don't take any time to shut down. Oh, I got no time for that, got no time for that. But what's really sad and pretty pathetic, they have no time for God. When they get up early in the morning, they get up early to get in the car and take off and do their commute, or they gotta get up early and load up the pickup truck and get to the site or get to wherever they're going. They don't take any time to greet God and thank him for the day that they even have. Remember, tomorrow is not promised. When you wake up and you take a breath, you should be thanking God because he gave it to you by his grace and his mercy allows you to continue. But you have so much on your plate and you have so much going on, you can't even take time to thank the creator of all things made, Abba Yahweh, heavenly father. Can't even take time, you can't take time. But but this is an important thing and he's reminding us that we have to bring him our minds for rest and renewal. And yet you get these knuckles. And I was doing it. Didn't have time. Didn't have time. Didn't have time, have time. Don't have time. Don't have time. Oh my goodness, I can't I can't sit down for two minutes and talk to God. I can't take time to sit down and meditate with God for five, ten minutes. I can't, I can't do that on my lunch break. Uh why not? Why not? Find a quiet place during your lunch break at work. You take an hour for lunch, half an hour for lunch. I don't know, whatever you take. God loves that you take the time to do that. Remember what I've shared with you. God makes time for those that take time to pray. When you come to God, whether you're sitting in your lunch break and you're meditating for five, ten minutes in a quiet place and just thinking about God or you're reading a short scripture or you're going through one of the books of the Bible and you take that time to spend with him, he will bless you for that. And you need the rest and renewal And when you come to him, reminding us to, uh, I didn't look this up, but I'm going to because I know I've heard the word before. I know what it means, but um, I want to see what the dictionary's got to say about this. Oh, wow. This is really I thought so. So It's what I thought it was. And it's actually quite relevant and pertinent to what way God does. So in the reading it's talking about when we come to him and he says, Let me infuse my presence into our thoughts. And I thought that's what that meant. And it has to do with fluidity. And when you have, I don't know, uh, of course, I don't think the millennials will do this, but they'll take a moment and they'll look it up, I'm sure. Um, but when you back in many days gone by a long time ago i was a I was a kid kid, and this was a this is a big thing when they made tea and you could buy tea bags in the store. you don't understand how big of a deal that was because before then you had to use what was called an infuser a tea infuser, and it was a little usually made out of stainless, sometimes you get some real fancy ones, and it looks like a little pendulum on a on a chain dangle, and you would open it and you'd put tea in there and then you'd put it in the hot water and you'd let the tea steep in the infuser. And that's how you used to have to make your hot cup of tea back in the days of my youth. And then they got the bright idea that they could Put it in this tissue and staple them together and make tea bags, flow through tea bags. Oh, that was a big deal too. They used to have just a single tea bag and then they made the flow through tea bags. It was like it was some kind of an invention inventive design and oh people went they went gaga. <laughs> but when God's talking about infusing And the definition that is used in the dictionary is usually the introduction as in a liquid when it is poured into and the, it's, wow. I love finding this stuff and the the continuity that is found and everything that's promised and the way God just lines all this up and stitches it together. Throughout the Bible, you talk about the pouring out of the blessings, the pouring out of the spirit. And it talks about this. And there's places here, where did I find it? And I believe that was in the book of Malachi I shared with you, or I meant to and I didn't. Shame on me. But we go to the book of Malachi. Who is Malachi? Malachi is a prophet of God. And he is the last book of the Old Testament. I, sh- I did share with you because I was talking about the opening and closing gigs in an orchestration concert or what have you, and you have an opening act, which is kind of a deal with somebody that's just starting out, but then you have you have a closer Closers are important. Closers are important. And you have... You have closers in, in all sorts of aspects and walks of life. They had a... usually had, They used to have a series on television, and um, Kevin Bacon's wife was actually the lead character of this. And... Uh, it was a good program, and it was called The Closer. Well, she was a special investigator, and the cases that were hard to crack or get, she was put on there, and she would close the case. Um, and that's what they called her, The Closer. Malachi, for God's purpose, and he put him here, and he was the closer. And he has important things to say. Very short, there's only uh four four chapters? Yeah. Four chapters in the book of Malachi, but he's an important prophet of God. And and here's one of the things that kind of be floats right on my bonnet. And I get this thistle that I sit on every once in a while about this. But how these um these are the theological wizards and the the ones that know so much more than everybody else does. And they declare some of these, um, they have divided the old Testament. They have the old Testament and then they have the books of the prophets and then they have what they call the lesser prophets. Well, here's the thing that bugs me about that. As you have a prophet of God that's given a testimony from God to bring to people, How is that a lesser prophet? So what you're doing is you're subjugating God's word and you're subjugating individuals to your whims. Knock it off because you don't have that authority. You're not given that authority. You've seemed to have taken it upon yourself and made that decision on your own, but it's not given you of God. So stop it. This is a prophet of God. God put him where he put him and has him do this for a reason. So Malachi had some important things to do and he was telling the nation of Israel just before the birth of Christ. And he actually talks about Christ. And he talks about John the baptizer. In chapter three, chapter three, one, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So he's telling Israel, he says, you better get it. You better quit your fooling around because you have to understand that Israel's been messing a lot. They don't, uh, they've been really, really, well, actually, self and uh, self instrumentally, they helped the destruction of Jerusalem. I'll explain that momentarily. And Malachi reminds the people. He said in three uh, six, "For I am the Lord; I change not. Therefore, ye sons of." Jacob are not consumed. See, what he's reminding them is of the covenant that they have. They haven't been consumed. He's not been happy with them, but he didn't destroy them. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet we have robbed, yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that they, that there may be be meat in mine house and prove me how herewith saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall be not room enough to receive it so Malachi is reminding the nation of the things that they have done and then of course Jesus reminded the Pharisees again because they turned around and did the very thing what Malachi is talking about is the fact that Jerusalem and Nehemiah ran into this. Now we're going to jump into, uh, I'm going to finish up this reading that I did a little earlier, and then we're going to jump into, we're going to follow the rule of faith here, brothers and sisters. Remember, follow the rule of faith, front cover to back cover, back cover to front cover, and God intertwines and interweaves and stitches together. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there's no puckering, and the material is a fine robe fine robe to mantle yourself in. So Malachi is reminding the people and yet again it happened and Jesus ran into it and the temple when he came they were doing it again trying to rob God. They were trying to steal from God. And it really made him upset. Because they were stealing not only from the coffers of the temple and taking a percentage for themselves that they shouldn't have been. Because here's the thing. The way the temple was set up and the way that they were following and and set up ordinances. And if you read the book of uh, Nehemiah, you will see this. It gets kind of lengthy and it goes through a historical thing, but it's a good reading. Kind of an important reading. And you will see and understand some of the things in the temple. And I was... I was starting to uh was feeling kind of belabored and trying to get through it, but in reading it I understand and see what God did. God God didn't just have them work. God set it up so that these men who were taking care of the, the temple were provided for by the people that came and, and things were done and the percentages that were done. And he had things divvied up for, you had the priests and then you had the Levites and you had those that were, um, later on the Pharisees did some nasty things with them, but the what they called the temple guards, they took care, they took care of them and maintained things and made sure that the temple was fit for, individuals to, to come and worship. But these people were taken care of. And they were taken care of out of that portion that was brought and it was set up and set aside that that each one got a portion. And God was, God was taking care of that and had it established. But then you had those that decided that they wanted more. And that they would just stop doing that other. And they would just keep it. Brothers and sisters. You have that going on now. And this is what. Is termed in the Bible. It's called the filthy lucre. Which is. Money that is. Taken in devious schemes. And I shared with you. That that one place that I went. And they were teaching. And. I didn't try the spirit when I went in. I was anxious because of all the, the lies and everything that was going on. So everything was closed down and everything was separate. And, and um, but I was missing people that I had worshiped with before. I had an opportunity, didn't try the spirit before I went in. And then of course, as I shared with you, the thing that went on inside and then Holy Spirit asked me if I heard him now. Yes, I did but everything inside the church was for sale. Nothing was given away, nothing was given and shared to the people. If you went in and you had a cup of coffee, you had to buy the coffee. If you wanted a donut with it, you had to buy the donut with it. And it was pretty astronomical because everything was actually at prices above what it would be in a coffee shop. Wow. And then they had a little bookstore and a little merch, and you had to buy everything. Nothing was, nothing was given to the people. Nothing was shared with anybody. You had to buy everything. And I just went in out of curiosity and was looking around. And the ones that were the most expensive were the books that had the pastor and the pastor's son's picture on them. They were the most expensive. That's filthy lucre. And they were doing, and the two messages that they preached two different Sundays were nearly identical sermons, except for two extra verses that were preached in the second ver in the second sermon and one was by the father and one was by the son, and they were the same, and they were getting people basically what it was doing they were trying to convince the congregation to be a part of their pyramid scheme. But what it was, if you listened to it and paid attention, you looked at the word of God, which they weren't going by the scripture anyway. Poof. Why? Because I looked. And I checked. Didn't the first time, did the second time. The Holy Spirit was guiding me through this. Nothing they were talking about was actually in the scripture. They did a, very wide deviation. But that's okay because judgment will come unless they repent and they ask God to forgive them and they take care of business there they will there will be a day of reckoning. Enough of that. But back into this that I'm sharing with you. The Lord wants to infuse him his presence into our mindset to get us to relax, to get us to, and how refreshing is that? If, if um, I know that when I was driving big trucks and I would go out and I would uh, catnaps are really powerful, but you're not napping here. You're meditating the God. You're focusing on God. You're taking a rest time with God and God is with you. And God gets you to get your mind to slow down, to slow down. And relax, because as I've shared, you get so many people that get these day planners so chock full of junk and garbage that, man, they've got so much they want to try to do. And they want to try to get this done and they can't get it done. And they're, they're, it's, it's pretty pathetic. Actually, they get their minds so caught up and it. Their minds are racing so fast, so far ahead. And they have things planned out so far in advance and there's no way that they can catch up. And then they wind up giving in to those attitudes and they get some pretty nasty attitudes. And then what do they do? They bring that home to their children, to their wives, to their pets. And everyone suffers the consequences for the racing mind. They're going around the track so fast they can't even hardly stop for a pit stop. They can't take time out for dinner. Oh, I have no time. I gotta I gotta go back out. In. But wait a second, dinner's ready. The kids are kids are they wanna see you, they haven't seen you all day. They've been in school, you've been at work, uh, I have no time, gotta go. And it's not only the men that will pull that and sometimes the women. It depends on what their social positioning is. According to what, according to who, according to man, anyway, God wants you to slow down, get your body to sit down and relax, and focus on God to regain the awareness of him, but you have to understand that it, that that's important to our spiritual well-being. Spiritually. And this is interesting, I didn't, I never pictured it this way and, and we don't. You know, we have, uh, you have to understand that that in this plane of existence that we're on, we have, there are more than three dimensions you have time and then you have space, you know, the space that you occupy in walking on this plane of existence. And then you have time, is a dimension. But you have to understand that when you take time spiritually to meditate, focus on God, and take that time to be in His presence, that you're you're in another dimension in and of itself. I've shared this with you before, and I I, I didn't totally understand it until I saw it. So this is some of the empirical evidence that has been presented, and there will be many that will argue and say that I imagine whatever, you can say whatever you like, I don't care. Remember? Remember I'm that guy? I don't care because I know where from my validation comes and it's not from y'all. So it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the validation that comes from my Lord, my God. And that's the validation that matters to me. The only validation that matters. And I have seen God Spend time. And you'll say, well, how does that happen? I don't know how that happens. God did it. So I don't know. But I know that when I took extra time to spend with him, pray and talk with him, and when I thought that I was going to be running way down, but what I was doing was his business. So what he did is he honored that and he bent time so everything fit in and worked. For me, that's the mystery of God. God can do things that you might find very mysterious and not totally understand. But he's done that on more than one occasion because I was doing his business. I was doing what he called me to do. I was paying attention to that, not paying attention to my watch but he bent time because he can. But if we stay and we pay attention to the openness of his presence, as my writing was saying, it transcends the others. It transcends time and space and gives you a glimpse of heaven While you're still here. And that's what that time bending thing was. That I see now and understand. Thank you. So Holy Spirit was just enlightening. And told me that I can clarify this with you. Because when we get to heaven. And when we are glorified. And when we are in our heavenly bodies. And no longer in this body. And we are glorified to be like him. As the Bible tells us we will be. And traveling in heaven is not going to be having to walk. Like I shared with you, the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, the the building of this is going to be a five-day walk. If you were to walk as we do nowadays, it would take us five days to walk from one corner to, from the uh, west corner to the east corner, and then from the north corner to the south corner, another five days. And then from that, Southeastern corner to the southwestern corner Would be another five days And then from that corner back up Would be another five days So it would be It would take us 20 days If we were going to walk around The capital city It would take us 20 days If we were to walk But now see here's the thing Travel in heaven is not gonna be the way it is down here. And as was just sharing here, the dimension that God provides and gives to us, and that spiritual dimension, is it transcends the time and space. This is why he's able to bend time and to be able to change things to fit with what his plan is. So when I was doing his business, I was taking care of his business and sharing with someone else. He bent time, two times he did that for me. I saw it happen, I witnessed it, it happened. And as the old saying goes, when I was younger, I'll argue till the cows come home. Millennials will have no idea what I'm talking about and there'll be some a little bit younger than I am and they'll have no idea, but that's okay. But I won't actually argue with you, I just make a point, and it doesn't matter whether you believe me or not. What matters is that God did it, I saw it, I witnessed it, and he is a truth teller, he is a blessing giver, and that's what I know. But he allows us to have glimpses of heaven while we are still here in this plane of existence. Sadly, you have a lot of people that hold on to what they have here and they call this home. This is not home. If you are a true believer, if you accepted Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and you have faith in God and you let the Holy Spirit guide your steps and walk, this is not our home. This is a residence. This is my working visa residence that I have. I have been given a visa from heaven and told that I can do this thing that God has called me to do and he allows me to do it. He's given me this platform to be able to do it, but I'm on a work visa and God's my CEO, whatever you want to call him. And when he pulls the air horn and the whistle, whatever uh, Gabriel blows that trumpet or even sooner, if he takes me before any of all that stuff goes on, and that stuff being the rapture and the tribulation and all those things are foretold in the Bible that so many call doom and gloom. Wait a minute, what's doom and gloom about this? Because when that happens, Jesus Christ is coming back as he promised to do, and we are going to be taken to heaven. What is doom and gloom about going to heaven? See, I don't get that. When people share that doom and gloom, what that tells me is that their treasures and their focus is earthly, and it's not heavenly so get it right and what is sharing is like God was sharing in the reading in here that we have those glimpses and that was part of the original plan that he had when Adam and Eve he used to walk with them in the cool of the evening he'd come down in the garden they'd walk around and see everything there. They didn't worry about being naked. They didn't worry about anything. It was just, it was a spiritual commutation with God. And then Satan came in because Satan had been tossed out of heaven because he was trying to be something he was not and still tries to convince people that he is something that he's not. He still tried to convince them that he's all powerful and all knowing and none of that. He has none of his heavenly attributes. However, he can intercept our prayers. This is why I tell you that it's, Important when you have important prayers that you put it in code and that code is the speech of the Holy Spirit and that's a direct line. He didn't understand that. That's heavenly speech. He didn't understand it. He can't. He has nobody that can interpret. He has nobody that can intercept the code. There's nobody that can code break. Can't be done. But that's like the switchboard operator in heaven plugs directly into God. Boom. There you go. God's listening to that come into him. And God desires to have that personal relationship like he walked with them in the garden and he wants to walk with us what what he calls the garden of our heart. Wow. Wow. Pardon me while I take a little Pause here. i am got my eyes closed. I'm sitting back just saying the garden of our heart. What I'm seeing right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> what I'm seeing is this expanse and you've seen it in some movie, but you're sort of, you're walking through this undergrowth, this green, and then you step out of this as if you're stepping out and there's this this vast openness but it's filled with flowers and birds sunshine and the trees surround and it's it's and the the smells the fragrance is so powerful wow thank you father And then what changed them was, of course, the fall and their falling prey to the dastardly wiles of the serpent. And when God came to walk with them in the cool of the evening, as he'd done many, many times, and he already knew where they were. It wasn't wasn't as if he really wanted them to tell him where he was, tell him where they were. He knew. They went and hid themselves. And they were hiding in the trees because they were ashamed. And they said, oh, we were naked, and so we got afraid. Well, wait a second, you've been naked and walk around out here and never problem before, so are you going to confess to me the problem now? Which is what he did. He already knew. I mean, he knows things about us, but he wants us to talk to them. Of course, he was not happy, so he kicked them out of Eden. But then we learn that in Psalm... David shares in Psalm eighty nine fifteen, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. It's not an automatic thing, brothers and sisters. We have to we have to teach ourselves to do this. Just like all those people that get caught up in all that pre planning garbage. And they get so caught up in everything that they've got to get done, and it's got priority, takes priority over praying and spending time with Lord God Almighty, the Sovereign Lord God, Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father, Maker of all things made, Ancient of Days, Rapha, Healer, Asadai, Adonai, Elohim, ElohiKu, all those names that are the characteristic of our Lord God Almighty. All those things that you pre-plan and put in that date book, they have priority over time with God. And then in the book of Proverbs in 4.23, here's one. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So, those things being said, I'm gonna jump over here and it's takes a tie-in with what I'm going to share with you. And we're going to talk about a, a book of the Bible. Some of you may have read, some of you may not, and some overlook. This is a person, and there is a book in the Bible, and the title of that book is Nehemiah. And it's titled that because the gentleman who wrote this book was a prophet of God, a man of God, and he wrote it. And when you go through and you look through the book of Nehemiah, and also um, this is where I have my Provenance, Provenance. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's my word, my my letter from ne- wow, that's pretty powerful. I get a letter from a prophet of God who endorses, by the way, who is endorsing my mention of bullet prayers. And of course, there are going to be those of you out there that are going to say, wait a minute. Yeah, it's in the Bible. And Nehemiah uses them. So in the book of Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, and he is one of those guys, he brought the word from God, but Nehemiah was um, was an interesting man, was an important man. And I want you to take note of this because this is something that we've seen numerous times, is that individuals that were godly men And leaders, and you had Esther and Ruth, godly women, and God brought them and put them and placed them and led them in positions of prominence because of their faith and their belief in Lord God Almighty. And you have Joseph, there's one right there. Joseph was put into a hole, they lied to his father, they took the coat of many colors that his father made for him and they were all jealous and mad because he gave that to Dan, to uh, Joseph. And they put him in the hole. They cut it up and they put lamb's blood on it. They told their father that he had been killed. That destroyed him. That broke his heart. It absolutely broke his heart. And he was a changed man. He was not the same man who was their father. They did that to him. Not only did they do to Joseph what they did. But they did to their own father. Because of jealousy. However, those things that were made for evil were changed to good for him who loved the Lord. We find that. We find that in the book of Romans in our adoption letter. So you have Joseph. Then you have Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah in Babylon. Those four young men were elevated to positions of prominence in that kingdom. And then you have Nehemiah. Nehemiah, interesting story. So here's the thing about Jerusalem because the people had turned their back on God, and there were prophets that had spoken to this happening, and he allowed them to be taken captive, and they were scattered everywhere. This is talking about the scattering of the nations, but God would bring them back, and Nehemiah was going to be instrumental in that, and he was going to be an instrument of that prophecy. Now, Nehemiah, during this time, this was when Israel, Jerusalem, had been dashed and broken. And Nehemiah was in. Had been one of the scattered that were gone. And he was working for a Persian king, Artaxerxes. And he was in his kingdom and was working in his palace in Shushan, which was a Persian region and that was his house of authority and Nehemiah worked there for him he was his wine taster his wine um, I forget what they call it now but his wine steward and he worked for the he worked for the king and he would make sure that there's no poison things. I mean, it was a very important job. But the th- important thing, the point with Nehemiah is that in those days you could not present yourself to the king and be sad about anything, be downtrodden, and you couldn't come in and you couldn't look mopey dopey dopey dopey. You had to be you had to be upwardly. You had to be, and that's not even a good word to describe. You had to be up in spirit. You had to be, you couldn't You couldn't be sad. You couldn't be moping around. You couldn't be not like the Israelites did when they were out in the desert, shaking their fists at God and wandering around down there. Oh, look what we're in now. Look what you did now, Moses. And that's what they continued to do the whole time. They were looking down and treading down. And when the vipers came in and bit them and then Moses built that thing. And this was to get them to lift their eyes up. You look up there at this thing and he put it on this really huge staff. That serpent that he pounded out of bronze was up there, but they weren't worshiping the serpent. The idea was to get them to lift their eyes heavenward, to lift your head up and look. And when God said, you lift your head up and you look, looking at the ground. So, Nehemiah couldn't go in before the king and be in that way. And here's the thing. I'm going to get to the bullet prayers here in a minute. And you're going to find it in the book of Nehemiah, actually. So he has some folks that have been traveling that or that there were some individuals that came that some folks came from Jerusalem, from Judah, and had a visitor Hananiah, and some other folks came from Judah, and he asked them concerning about the Jews and that got away from the raiding hordes and, in particular, Jerusalem. Well, they didn't give him good news. The walls were breached in many places and the very gates that protected the city were all burned. They'd been set afire. There weren't even any gates anymore. Everything was burned. All the timbers and all the, that held the gates in place were gone. Buildings were broken down. And it was sad for him. And Nehemiah was praying, and God told him what he wanted him to do. And he talked to them about, and God was talking to Nehemiah. And we find this in 1 8. Remember, I beseech thee that the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye return unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name therein. So this is what Nehemiah is holding on to, the promise of God that was given to him and that he has been a steadfast servant. So he was working for this king, Xerxes, and he was a wine bearer. And there was actually an ordinance that you couldn't go in before the king and, and look sad. Well, Nehemiah couldn't help it. And when he went into the king, the king noticed right away. But now see, you have to understand that Nehemiah had been around the king for a long time. The king knew when he was well, when he was sick, and Nehemiah was very good at his servitude and what he was doing, and he was treated well. He wasn't treated poorly. I mean, he was working in the house of the king. He lived in the house of the king. And when Nehemiah came in, the king asked him, we find this in two. wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And he was very afraid. He said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my fathers, sepulchres, lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king asked unto him, for what dost thou make request? Here's the bullet prayer. Pay attention. This is in Nehemiah 2, verse 4. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king. So before he responded to the king, he sent out a bullet prayer up to heaven, which was responded of. And King Axerxes. And that wasn't the only bullet prayer that Nehemiah sent up, by the way. I'm just pointing that out because it's very prominent right there. Axerxes granted his request. Not only did he send Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and he asked him when it would be and he wasn't certain so he didn't give him a response but the king was accepting of that because he knew that this was a place that Nehemiah needed to go to because the burial place of his fathers and his relations and all that was destroyed. His city was destroyed and he gave him Uh, letters of import and transport where he could get cedars, timber traders. And remember, the cedars of Lebanon were the biggest, straightest, and truest. And he sent him an escort. He sent them, he sent wagons and helpers so that he could get to Jerusalem. And then, of course, you had those that were taking the bribes and looking the other way, and they were they were talking down to Nehemiah and all those that came to help him. Talked down to him and talked to, if you will, this is a little vernacular. They were talking a lot of smack. They put Nehemiah down, they still talk bad, they talk bad about God, they talked about bad about Nehemiah, they talked bad about anything that he was doing. But here's the thing how how God honored Nehemiah and what he was doing. And he honored his prayers. In fifty two days, in fifty two days, I'll say it a third time. Fifty-two days. That's about two and a half months. Well, month and a half. Almost two months. The reparation to the walls of Jerusalem had been made. The gates had been repaired so that they could close and latch. Everything was done. And then they came and they they prayed over the city. They sounded trumpets and horns. They called all those that had been scattered that were in camps encamped outside of the city and they brought them and Nehemiah declared that they would do it and they would do it unto God and that the city would be God's city and that the temple would be God's temple and it would be his house and everything was established and then when Nehemiah went back of course they tried to do again what they had done before You had one of the priests and then one of the uh, leaders of the city made a little arrangement. They were trying to have a money-making scheme going on. Nehemiah caught wind and came back, gave him the boot. But the point being is that God will bless those who bless and honor his name. By doing that, that you take time to meditate on him, you take time to spend time with him, make time to pray and God takes time and will make time to listen to your prayers. He loves our prayers The angel showed John, God savors our prayers. He saves them in golden vials and he opens them because it's a sweet, savorous incense to his nostrils. Savory incense. Sorry, I combined two words. It's a savory incense to his nostrils. He loves the smell that lifts up from our prayers. Brothers and sisters, prayers are important. It is our communication with God. And it doesn't have to be a great big old fancy thing. You've heard me pray a prayer before I pray before I start. There's certain things that I want to include and I make a point to include. But God just wants to hear from you. That's our heavenly father, our good, good father. Wants to hear from his children. We are his. And I have this. uh, I love this program I watch. And incidentally, some may or may not. Doesn't make any difference to you. I've already prayed the spirit over this. And I know that it's true. And it's not produced in Hollywood. It's produced outside of hip wood. But it's called The Chosen. And it's really great. And there's some of those that just... Bring me right to tears. And when Mary is going through her troublesome times and she was going to take her own life, and Jesus came and redeemed her, and when she said and he called her name. She stopped. She turned around. She looked at him. She goes, How do you know me? See, she was going by she was going by another moniker. And she hadn't been called Mary. Mary was her childhood name. And he called her by name and he says I know you. I created you. I know you. You are mine. And this was a prayer that her father used to teach her, came from the book of Isaiah. It was the prominence that God and Jacob had. And her father had taught her that when she was a child and she remembered it. What does that tell you about God's sovereignty and Jesus's sovereignty? And remember, John shares in the first chapter, first verse. And the word was with God from the beginning. The word was God, with God, and the word was God. This is one of the mysteries that we're talking about in the Bible. Don't try to figure it out with your finite mind because it's going to blow it apart. Know and pray, meditate on God, spend time with him. He likes to spend time with you. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, my going out, my coming in every day. Be blessed.